Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener and that's what you do. You listen. And as you know, I record these intros and outros in my car, which is sort of my mobile sound booth because, you know, this is where I get a little peace and quiet. (laughs) My home, you know, my two-bedroom apartment in the middle of a pandemic with a one-year-old is, yeah, it's, well, it's not the quietest place. It's joyful. It is. My son's going through an incredibly interesting phase where fuck here i go already only 16 months and i'm already using public channels to air out his dirty laundry this is gonna age well i'm sure he's he's gonna love when he's a teenager and i'm incorporating his you know most personal things into my artwork I'm sure he'll love that it's not gonna plant any deep-seated resentments or anything um but he is he's going through a phase he's being a jerk <laughs> He's not being a jerk. He's being a very typical kid. And he's very lovely. My child is wonderful. Listen, we're all fond of our children, right? It's fucking corny. I can't stand it, to be honest. And I hope you guys will call me on it if I ever do become that fucking, you know, that parent who's like, you'll never, you'll never, ever guess what Deirdre did this weekend. And I'll be like, how old is she? And she's six. And I'm going to be like, I don't know, like something impressive for a six-year-old. Like, we all know the answer that's coming. They either, you know, did some mediocre performance, which is never good at their school, or they, you know, they they performed quasi-adequately on a musical instrument, but they ain't no fucking Mozart. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll never forget. A buddy of mine always tells me this story of, like, how soul-crushing parents can be at times. He was like singing he him and his dad he, he would help his dad who was a dj kind of set up like um set up at parties and tear down kind of the stage and everything at the end of it and so he's singing and he's you know really getting into it feeling like man i sound good and uh and they're tearing the stage down and he looks at his father and goes hey dad like maybe i'll be a singer one day maybe i'll be a famous singer and his dad looks at him and goes if you were going to be one, we'd know by now. Oh, fuck. If you were going to be, we'd know by now. Um, so I'll try not to be that harsh with my child because that is rather soul crushing. I just, I blow my kid up, trust me, left and right. I'm, I, I tell him every night, I'm like, I couldn't be more proud of you. Like, and listen, he's 16 months. I mean, you know, 
Eh, he hasn't gotten any Boy Scout merit badges yet, but I'm already proud of the kid. I mean, in my eyes, he's accomplished a lot, but I just don't, I, I want it to be a personal thing me being my kid's number one fan, as opposed to like prophetizing it to the entire world. Cause I don't think they care. There's a great line in a Woody Allen movie that I think the one that Larry David's in where this woman is sort of, you know, bloviating about how wonderful her, her child is. And Larry David looks at her and goes, well, in your opinion, in your opinion, she's great. And well, that's your opinion. And I don't know. I just don't want to be that dad. I don't want to be the guy who's like publicly outwardly too stoked on their kid. Is that bad? Is that make me bad? Bad guy. Anyway, my kid's throwing tantrums and it's very hard for me to not react. And I'm pretty sure that's really the only option. I tried to like have a real like sit down with him heart to heart, eye to eye, man to man, like the shit I've seen in sitcoms before. And he was not fucking having it. And my wife looked at me like I was possibly the dumbest boy on earth. And she's like, he doesn't get it yet. He's a year and we're still counting his age in months. You dumb fuck. <laughs> we can't. You cannot reason with a 16 month old. Idiot. You're like a... You, you're a fucking, you're a 400 month old and you still don't get this. What's wrong with you, Josh? Like, and she's absolutely right. And my wife, God bless her. And I don't know whether it's her disposition or just sort of that motherly instinct, but she, she's wonderfully calm in moments where I, uh, you know, listen, I'm not like lashing out. I, I'm very careful to keep like a governor on my reactions as far as like how annoyed I allow it to make me, but you know, there are moments where you're less than serene where you're like, Oh, just stop it already. I hear you. You, you cannot eat yogurt that you pour on the couch. You can't use the couch as a plate. It's not, it just can never, that can never be. Unless it, we do it the day before we're going to throw that couch away. Cause it, it's been a great couch, but it's really seen better days. Maybe then you can use the couch as a plate, but until that day, it's just it, max. It's never going to be. So let's watch Sesame street. Let's enjoy this wonderful Greek yogurt with the, like the additional sort of raspberry marmalade spread that we're so lucky we can afford to buy. And let's find a middle ground. Little does he know that I'm the fucking man. This kid could have, you know, have me wrapped around his finger if he wanted to. I don't want to be tough, dad. You know, I'm down. I can have a great time at Legoland. I'm, I love, okay. I love the mall. I love experiences. I don't mind the library. I like going to the park. I really want to water ski and I eat almost all snack foods. What fucking more could you want out of a playmate? I'm the fucking best and my son needs to realize this and we're going to have a great time together. But you know, if he's going to throw tantrums in the middle of the natural history museum, there's a possibility that we're not going to do as much. Cause you don't want, you know, you just don't want to be that parent with the crying kid where you're like smuggling him out of the, <laughs> out of the museum. Like he's a, you know, like he's a letter bomb because, <laughs> because you know, you're just so, it's just very embarrassing. And I'm sure most parents are like, ah, been there. I get that. But you know, there's some fucking judgy judgersons who are like, oh, nice parenting, you douche. So I just don't want to leave my child um, to that. It wouldn't be him. It'd be me. I don't want to leave myself up to that scrutiny.
nevertheless, kid is great. Kid is beyond, kid is very advanced. So, you know, <laughs> um, on today's podcast, John Stamos, Jonathan Stamos, you know him, you love him. It's the best. John was my first podcast guest. That was over two and a half years ago. And now we're at well over a hundred interviews. And I figured we can make sort of a thing of it where I have him on every hundred interviews. Joe Rogan brings on the same person regularly. So I feel comfortable doing it too. The reality is when, and we sort of talk about this in the first podcast and in this one, but when I initially met John playing his son on a TV show he started, I wasn't expecting to become good friends with him. I mean, I liked the guy and he was kind to me. And, you know, I knew of him in a big way because he's just a part of the lexicon. I think you'd have to be born under a rock to not know. But, you know, I was, I, I sort of never expect to make lasting relationships with work friends and especially when they're famous. Because understandably so, you know, famous people go from job to job and they meet a lot of people and they have to be, you know, pretty preferential when it comes to their their circles because everyone wants to be near a famous person. And so you just kind of, I don't know, famous people are like the Northern Lights or a shooting star. <laughs> you just kind of say, I'll probably never see this again. So I'm going to really enjoy it. Uh, my buddy always said, being near a famous person is like driving next to a cop. Just everyone just is constantly checking over to make sure they're looking, you know, they're not looking at them. <laughs> um, Anyway, I wound up becoming very close with John. He's a very, very good friend uh, to me and my wife. And my wife and his wife are good friends. And now our kids are friends. And, uh, you know, I, I really deeply respect the guy. And I've learned a lot from him. And he has been a great um, teacher. Dare I say father figure. You know what? For his ego, I'll say older brother figure. No, but... I just, uh, yeah, I think we met at a very special time in our lives where we were both sort of uh, in need of some guidance that we could offer each other. And so I feel lucky to call him a friend. He's true blue and he's one of the best people in the world. Um, and I love this podcast. So quick clarifier. Um, we did record this podcast in person. We've both been excessively quarantined. Um and I went to his home where we kind of went to a room that no one goes into but him. And we stayed more than six feet apart, which my kid allows. I wore a mask. He wore a mask. I disinfected everything. And uh, we took every precaution possible to, you know, keep the guidelines guiding. But you people need content. <laughs> John was nice enough to want to record this episode. And, uh, and I think you'll like it. So here is John Stamos. Can you understand me? You're a bit muffled. Yeah, because I'm wearing a mask. Ah, wait, uh, so am I. <laughs> We're way more than six feet away. From Josh came in the back door of my house. Yes. We're how many feet away? I would. This is at least eight. Eight feet away. We're fully quarantined. Well, we fully, have been. We're not clothed. I'm not fully clothed. No, we've got masks on. You have to wear masks and gloves. They didn't say anything else. No pants. They didn't say anything about pants. So what did you just say to me before we were recording? Why are you? Why am I on here again? <laughs> You've had me on a lot. Was I on the first one? I thought this was like the 100th uh, episode or something. This is close, but a little after. But I figure every 100, every two and a half years, I can I'll be on here you. every week. I told you I could be a good co-host for you. But because I don't do... I, I say no to all these because... 
Yeah, you are picky. Well, I love you. Thanks. I love I'm you too. I'm not picky. I'm just like, it's too much. Like every motherfucker on the planet has a pot. You throw a stick and I'll hit six people in this neighborhood that have a podcast, you know? Tell me the last five requests that you've gotten for Saget, podcasts. Saget, 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 and Bob Saget. Okay. Uh, well, he just started one. How's that going? I did it. I did. I talked to him on it because how can I say no? It was, it was actually not. I mean, you know, we just had a conversation like you and I do. All right, let's get busy with Joe. What's your opening thing? Let's get, uh, it's very sexy because you're very close to the mic. Like, welcome to the welcome Curious to, Podcast with Josh Peck. Yeah, let, let's Start get Start the show. Yeah. What, welcome to the what? I need cue Welcome cards. to the okay, okay. <laughs> Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Ooh, sultry. Wait, do you start the show again? Because you have a smile in your... Welcome to the Curious Podcast with Josh Peck. Start the show. Start the show. <laughs> he thinks he's sexy when he does. I know this kid very, very well. You do know That's me well. That's your sexy kind of start the podcast. Let's start it. What do people... What's the response of this? I'm so proud of you, by the way. Thank you. Because you do a lot of things, and this is a really good one. Um, and you've <laughs> kept it up. I was like, Maybe oh. too many things. No. Do you feel pressure because you you generate? I mean, you're a great actor, one of the one of the best that I've worked with. You have a new show that you're going to start, but oh, Stamos! But you, no, you have great instincts. I love when we sometimes when we're doing scenes together, we just like it, we just get to another. Forget the script, forget the thing. We're just like boom, boom, boom. We did have fun, but wait, let me ask you: Do you feel pressure because you know the more you come up with ideas and the more podcasts and the more you know videos you do for your thing, the more money you you know make? It is self-generated for yeah. sure, which is a nice incentive. I've sort of hit a weird wall with the pod. This is my greatest love, and I find I'm the most moved by podcasts. I learn the easiest. I can yeah. follow stories. You and I are best. always like, hey, we're turning each other on to podcast. Mostly you're saying, listen to this, and I, I listen about eight minutes. Like, well, that was really good, Josh. <laughs> I know. No, I well, <laughs> if I can get you to listen to half, it's a win. No, that's bullshit. I listen to anything you tell me, and then, but I always want to like talk to you or call you during it like that's bullshit why did he say that come on did he especially yours i'm like uh, there was one guest you had on i think i was texting you calling he's like why did the guy have to eat the whole fucking time during the interview oh pete berg yeah. <laughs> 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 he was great but he was eating right i mean it's so funny you know especially with people like that who like was such a you know it's it's like you it's like a get you know the fact that they were down to do it that it's like i'm trying to like make s the smallest impression on their day in life that yeah. the idea of halfway through being like pete really you got to eat a kind bar in the middle <laughs> yeah, of my no, fucking yeah, show <laughs> no, he was good though he was very good i like listening to him. i mean people like to talk they like to talk about themselves i guess i don't and i don't when i listen to podcasts i go man how like introspective are these people you know whether it's Probably a lot of it's true. It's like, then in third grade, I felt this about that. And then, in, you know, when I was 12 years old and I got my first boner, I did this. Like, I can't. I, first of all, I'm not that, uh, I guess, analytical about my life and my feelings and my emotions. Maybe I am deep down. But when I listen to podcasts, I go, I, I, I don't talk. I can't uh, articulate my life and my feelings like a lot of people can. But you're you're wonderfully measured in a way of like that is a bit of a throwback to old Hollywood in some respects, right? Where like everyone whores themselves out for everything no matter what nowadays. Yeah. And yet, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, it seemed as though people were still like very specific about the shots they pick. So right. what what passes the uh the mustard for you? Like, when do you decide other than a friend begging you to do their podcast in quarantine? Well, I mean, I don't get that many offers, so it's not like that. But I, it, you know, my dad was, you know, be like 
be like, uh, you know, Sinatra, Dean Martin, or, you know, I remember he used to say, Warren Bader, what a coxman. Be like, you know. What like, a coxman, but that's, no? You know, yeah, that's, you know. You I, I never Beatty, was naturally a coxman, by the way. You and Beatty were putting up similar numbers, I now, have no doubt. <laughs> I was too tired. I fell asleep a lot. <laughs> I've had some good conversation with him, though. But um, So you try, so you'd be like that. But See, now, if I was Stern, what he would have done is he would have now redirected everything and cleared cleared the sort of the table to say, mm. now, John, what you're saying is, did you have, have relations with such beautiful women that at a point it got so uninteresting, you fell asleep in the middle? That's exactly how he would have <laughs> did. And then you would have been off. Yeah. Yo, he, can, he can get you. Oh, yeah. Guy. He's so good. Um, I can't speak of my life like a lot of people can. And I find it interesting listening to some people, but I'm not that. And then, so, but what do people... What do they want to hear on this podcast of yours? I'm not quite sure. I mean, I have a Do the shorthand. numbers go up each week or do they go up? Do you, can you check the numbers on whatever guest you have on? Like, oh boy, this guest did a lot of this. This one didn't do much. Stamos, you're fucking putting up numbers when you're on my show. Yeah. Like your episodes, nice. Seriously? Six digits. Who's the highest? Tier. Probably, I would imagine you, I, you know, the beautiful thing about the pod is that from its onset, I said- I love acting, but I've made some compromises because you have no choice, right? You right. got to work. You got to pay the bills. I like social media, but I made compromises because I just wanted to be successful. This, to what me- What compromises? In the respect mean? of doing shit that probably wasn't necessarily something I would want to watch, but I felt like- right would appeal to my audience. But this isn't a compromise. No, this this is, is truly like I said, if I'm going to do this, it's for truly the love of it. And I'm going to make a pod that I'd want to hear. And right. I could, you know, I could have started a podcast where I talked about YouTube drama all day or right. something topical. And it probably in theory could have done better, but it, I would have been soul crushing. Yeah. So this is me interviewing like last week I had on Dave Rubin, who's like a super right wing political commentator, uh, comedian friend of friend of Bob's was uh -huh. at his wedding, and I had have everyone from him to you to Joe Biden's ex speechwriter. Who is that? What's his name? Uh, his name is Dylan Lowy. Uh -huh. To just like a myriad of different people who I find fascinating. What do your audience? Do they? I guess they just enjoy this, huh? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think what I like about it. I, I sometimes I wish you'd talk more. Sometimes the guests yak too much and you go, oh, man, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, but you're the king of this, right? Like you're the king of the lunch date and you're John Stamos so you can get it, right? Like you love, and it's something I love about you is that you have such an appreciation and and honor the genius of others. And you're incredibly curious, yeah. but you can take them out for lunch somewhere nice. I'm guessing Spago's and chat for an hour. Right. But this is mutually beneficial because nobody's coming out to lunch with me. Some people are. Right, but they're more inclined to be like, oh, I got a book to sell or my new movie. Right, right, right. So I'll you get to have on. these covers. Yeah. yeah. I do that a lot. I do, I'll just cold call or cold email someone and say, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch. Give us some examples. Oh, uh, like Jerry Weintraub when he was alive, he used to like to pick his brain. The old, you know, the older guys. I had lunch once with uh, Gary Marshall and Carl Reiner and... Um, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's manager. What's his name? Then? Oh, um, yeah, I know yeah. exactly who you're talking about. Um, but like a lot of my relationships, like with Rickles, I just, you know, I just paid attention to him and went out to lunch a couple of times and then that was it. You know, you called Rickles and, and I asked saw him at a restaurant. Out? I met him at a restaurant at the, at the, at, uh, Taverna Tony's at this Greek restaurant. And I was kind of like with my ex-wife and I, we weren't really, I was kind of separate. He was 
whiteboard with his thing. And the two of us somehow were sitting next to each other on a bench and we just started talking. And, you know, it was during a time when nobody was really paying attention to him. I think people thought he was, you know, dead or something. And Mm. he was just in Vegas, quiet. And then a few years later, he had a real resurgence. But at this time, when I when I started hanging out with him, he, you know, no one was paying attention to him, and I did. And what was your concept of him? Was it Rickles in Casino? Was it Rickles on Carson? Like, where did he make an imprint on you? Probably Carson, but my dad loved him, you know. My and my mom t- tells a story about being in Vegas on her honeymoon, and they went to see uh, Rickles and and Frank Sinatra. And, and Frank Sinatra asked her out after, or gave wanted her phone number or something. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and she was on her honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. Fucking God bless. Yeah, right. He had a beautiful mother. She was. She was a liquor. Um, so those, I, I think, from that, and um, he was just. A, I wasn't like obsessed with him, like, and I think he kind of knew that. So, like, he never. He didn't. Like, Saget. He eventually really liked, but he didn't like comics. He didn't like hanging around funny people. You know. Why do you think I said, that I'm is? I'm going to bring uh, you know this guy. No, no. What about that guy? No. How about this actor? Okay, yeah, bring him. Or he loved to have people around for dinners and stuff, and then. I don't. I don't know why he didn't like com- to hang around comics. Maybe did he want to be the guy in the room? Yeah, and he and he was. He, but it didn't matter. You could sit him next to Robin Williams, and, and Don would still be the guy in the room. You know. <laughs> yeah. But when like he, he started- would say, "Robin, why so fidgety?" <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's what they were doing. He was the. Um, yeah, his mind was fascinating too. You know. How so? When he when he started to get attention again you know and youtube started to become popular i remember sitting with him and showing him clips of himself on youtube and he almost was crying like it was because he hadn't seen you know all these carson stuff and all his old friends and frank sinatra and stuff. Or are we taping or we <laughs> okay <laughs> and uh he loved it he just loved it and then people started you know getting him again and then all the comics and they started doing tributes and we did you know those big things in um in new york for him the friars and vegas and all and then you know, he'd call me, say, Johnny Depp called me, you know. I said, I'm jealous. Yeah, uh, obviously. You know, Robin Williams sent this to me. This person said that, This, you know. And it was beautiful to see him get that. His mind was incredible. Uh, there's a, a CD, only one he ever did and put out called Hello Dummy. And he used to listen to it and study it. And he would goof on everybody in the audience, you know, 20, 30 people. And at the end, he would know all their names. So-and-so, Rosie, Jimmy, you know, thank you. I, and, and for my birthday one year, I, he said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I want to sit down. I want to listen to Hello Dummy with you. I want to ask you questions. No, 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 no. I said, come on. You asked me what I wanted. Oh, all right. And it was, you know, an hour of, of workshop that I'll never, you know, it was great. And you I said, talk- how'd you do that? How'd you remember that? I'm doing Rickles. He said, I'm just doing Rickles. He never wrote. He never wrote a joke. He never had writers. He never prepared. He he was doing the uh, the inauguration for Reagan and, and, um, uh, what's the kid from Webster? Um, uh, Emmanuel Lewis was introducing him. And he said, now, you know, the, the king of mean, this, that, you know, Don Rickles. And Don comes out and, and, and Emmanuel's still holding the mic. And he, right before he hands it to, to Rickles, he says, be funny and hands it to Don. <laughs> Don goes, well, there's one little black boy who'll never play basketball. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> right. Well, we, so well good. the racist stuff too. I go, where did that joke come from? He goes, I just, just, just hit me, you know. It was interesting about the race stuff with him too, and 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 uh, home, you know, the homophobic stuff. Because he was saying, he was saying in his act, he would put funny words together, and he thought the F word for gay and and sure. werewolf was funny together, or the F word for gay and um, Mau Mau fighter pilot. <laughs> what am I? 
F mama fighter. Right. And we were at dinner with them after and Barbara, his wife said, you know, maybe you shouldn't say that. I didn't say it. John, did I say it? I said, yeah, about eight times. It's funny. It's funny. I don't mean, you know, he didn't, obviously he wasn't racist at all. I didn't get it. He probably, yeah. I mean, you wonder about a guy like that, like Rickles, if he was, you know, 60 years old and still firing on all cylinders. And then now in this culture, today. I mean, he, he'd be done for. And it's not to say that, you know, words like, you know, that and other words have gone out the window as acceptable as, as well they should. And yet you wonder if he would have the freedom to sort of do the magic that he did, or he just would have been too. Yeah. And, and, you know, towards the last five, four or five years, it was getting to be that. And he didn't, he didn't know how to not do those jokes. I don't think I, you know, I, I, you know, you'd see him on, on Kimmel and, or I was on Kimmel a bunch with them, and, but but then I I I'd say, oh, that was a good spot. And Jimmy said I had to cut out half of it. Like people were protecting him. Right. He did a joke about Obama, like cleaning up after you know the White House, you know, sweeping <laughs> up or something. And and that got him in some trouble. But he just didn't understand it. He just it didn't. And he wasn't ignorant. And he was you know he was just kind to everybody. Everybody. I mean, I don't know if you've watched it recently. I'll watch old specials of the Rat Pack. And the way fucking Sinatra and Joey Bishop talked to Sammy Davis makes oh, me yeah. sick. Terrible. They were so, and I mean, for them, and you could tell there was utter reverence and respect and they, they loved Sammy. And what kills me is Sammy's just, you know, cracking up because at that time, like it, it probably, it, it was, he probably just wouldn't have felt comfortable to publicly be outraged, especially at his friends. He's part of this pack. Not only but friends, but Sinatra, you know, made him. And, and, right. or, or, you know, at the same time, see, that was the tough thing. And, you, you know, again, Sinatra was anything but racist and did a lot of beautiful things for, for African-American culture. And, you know, when people weren't letting Sammy, you know, walk through the hotel room, I mean, the, the hotel casino where he was performing, that he'd have to go in the back and he couldn't, you know, Frank right. stopped all that. You know, I think it was one of Kennedy's, maybe it was Kennedy's inauguration and, and he, he, Frank wanted Sammy and they said, well, you know, it's weird right now and time, and, you know, Frank said, no Sammy, no me, you know? Yeah. You'd have to check the history. I mean, he, he, he helped them a lot early on, but at the same time, yeah, he, you know, Dean Martin would pick him up and say, I'd like to thank the NCAA for this award. Jesus <laughs> you know, Or I don't know. Look, there was always real love there. And I, and I. No, I think that I came think through. So. People were mad at Sammy. He was like, stand up. You know, now there's a new special. Well, it's about a year old. I think it was on, I think it's on Amazon who. You know, it was a harder look at him. He had a, you know, he had a pretty rough life. You know, I mean, oh yeah. You know, I think I mentioned this on the Joe Coy pod, but you know, there was that comedian who had said some fucking moronic racist right. shit about Andrew Yang, mm -hmm. and basically doubled down on it. Got booked on SNL and then right. immediately fired. And when I was talking to Joe Coy about it, the the thing that rang true to me was this, which was like Chappelle. Um, you know, geniuses yeah. can talk about, can walk that line. They can yeah. dabble in the dark arts of sexuality and race and politics right. because they're so undeniably funny that it's all forgiven because it's in service and of like this brilliant joke. Right. right. And they didn't. But this guy being a douche, it's like, if, unless you are brilliantly funny, don't go there. Well, and also don't start a career with that, right? I'm trying to get attention or however he was doing. I mean, I heard that tape. It was fucking moronic. Yeah. 
I think, remember, I keep saying, like, what do people want to hear on your podcast? Probably not the stuff we're talking about. You're too self-judging. Yeah, okay. Don't worry about it. People just, love uh, this. They do? Wait, we were on to something. Sam, oh, you know, I did General Hospital with Sammy Davis. There's a picture up there somewhere. I know. There you guys Did you ever it. see that? Your old General Hospitals? No. I'm, no, no I, well, I mean, I, <laughs> no, but it's on. I, I, I show it to most people. Sam, I was... I played Blackie on there. I was 18, 19 years old, and I wanted to play drums on TV. And they, you know, yeah, yeah, kid. You know, it was my first job, but I wanted to play music. And there was a scene, Sammy came on as, a, as someone's uncle or something, but he was an entertainer. And, and Blackie was uh, was hosting, emceeing um, this uh, charity at the waterfront, you know, raising money for the waterfront because I was a kid from the streets, you know. So I was bugging the producer, I want to play drums. No, no, no. Sammy comes on and there's a full band set up and everything. I'm hosting. And my dad, I said, who's this guy? I said, oh my God, he's one of the greatest entertainers ever. But he does this, he does that. He's a drummer, talked to him about drums. So I did. And uh, I said, I've always wanted to play on here. And, you know, they won't let me. And a few minutes later, he comes back from the producer's booth and uh, says, okay, just, just do what I say, man. I go, what, what? And I remember this so clear. And he was kind of, he was just harsh with me. He says, just do what I say in that scene. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And if you watch it, you'll see. So he, I introduce him. He talks. And he says, Blackie, you play drums, right? And they cut to me. And I'm, yeah. He says, come on, let's play something. And I go up on the stage. And it's me and him. He's playing piano. And I'm playing drums. No rehearsal. No thing. Completely off the cuff. And we sit there and play this jazz thing together. And it was a highlight. You know? How did you just know how to drop into that? It's just, it was, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it was a jazz kind of, you know, thing like a riff you maybe you played before. Not really, but you know, I just put out this video. I, about 25 years ago, I, I was at a birthday party for John Fogarty. It was his 50th birthday. And it's in his living room. There's maybe 50 people there. And he's got a little band set up. He said, you want to play? And I said, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know Credence songs. I said, ah, just, you know, and I got up and played, and about two or three songs in. And I just, when you hear the songs, you know, I know it's like, how do you know how to do that? I mean, it's, you know, so I'm playing. And then he goes, Bruce, Bruce. I'm like, no way. Fuck off. Springsteen gets up. And I'll, I'll, I wish I knew this guy's name because the drummer in the, in the house band let me stay up on, the, on his kit for like an hour. And I kept saying, hey, you want your gig back? Springsteen's up there. Fogarty's up there. They're doing Proud Mary and, you know, uh, Born Than You. Uh, Bruce did some other weird song. But... And the guy was like, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What a, what a kind thing. I was like, wow. So anyway, I got the videotape of it back then. And it was this crappy, you know, um, one of those party videos with the weird transition stuff. And Julie Fogarty, who was so cool, gave me a copy and said, don't, this is our personal thing. Please don't ever let it out. And I was like, okay. This is 25 years ago. And I'm sitting on this tape and I'm like, God. And now, especially what's going on now, I'm sitting around and looking at all this stuff. God, it'd be good for the gram. I was always afraid to ask her because if she said no, then it'd be, that's it. You yeah, know? and you don't want to be that guy. And I, don't, I would never put it out. Anyway, so I, I asked her, she says, oh, yeah, of course. When this is over, let's, let's get together and have a barbecue, you know? And uh, so I put it out. Rolling Stone picked it up, and it was pretty cool. I don't know what my point to all that was, but. But it seems as though drums specifically is sort of the easiest thing to improvise within new, new music. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, I, you're not wrong, though. 
I mean, I think like there's a certain pattern, like you're keeping a certain pace and at the very least, you know, you can do high hat snare and a, a couple fills here and there. Yeah. And if you follow, you know, if you, if you have, if there's somebody good in the band telling you when stuff there has stop or there's a thing and, but instinctively, you know, you, you can probably get through a lot of songs out. So Sammy Davis, Springsteen, Hanks. I mean, we're <laughs> talking about like this, this echelon of, impressive some of the most talented people to ever live do they ever let you down or are they almost always exceeding your expectations when you meet them yeah everybody always says that don't 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 meet your heroes or be nobody's let me down ever that i could think of no Mm -mm. it's the mid-level fucks that really (laughs) (laughs) no but i mean i've you know i mean you know the people you just mentioned are were you know are just kind good people right i mean i don't know you spent time with hanks with me and I've talked about it on the pod and, and something I found really compelling about Hanks at your birthday party, you and I had just started working together and you were nice enough to invite me was that Hanks, I think inherently knows that to be him for the outside world, especially at a party like this, it's intimidating. And that I probably would never have had the goal to be like, Tommy, yeah. Jay Peck, you yeah, know, what's yeah. the haps. Yeah. And to your point, and I think you've talked about this, like, the fact that he asked you what my name was and made a concerted effort to be like, Josh, great to meet you. I'm Tom mm-hmm. was like, he didn't have to do that. <laughs> he didn't have to say I'm Tom either. Right. <laughs> right. Like, oh yeah. Really? I've been in a coma for the last 20 years. Tom, I thought nice you were right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's him. You know, and I learned that, you know, more than anything, I've just learned from these guys, you know, I've just watched the way they handle people, you know, Clooney, Clooney can make you feel like you're the greatest fucking human on the planet in the How least so? amount of time. <laughs> I remember I was at a big Hollywood function. I mean, big. And, and I knew him a little bit. I know, I, you know, I don't know him that well, but, and he, he was on the stage and I kind of walked near the stage. He's like, oh, hold it, hold it. The most handsome man in the room just walked in talking about me. I'm like, you know, like, yeah, you're right. George Clooney, come on. <laughs> You don't need to. So you learn from these guys. I mean, they, you know, why, you know, you're going to meet, you're going to spend time with people. Why not give them a moment of, of, of a good moment anyway? Yes. You know, can you, have but you things ever, have changed. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, have you ever been able to track like a, a common thread amongst guys like, or women like that? Something mm-hmm. that they all sort of possess that you think adds to it? They're curious, like Josh Pack, curious. They want to learn. They want to get whatever you have. Mm. You know, your knowledge. Hanks is great at this. He'll ask you 20 questions. But when he's got what he needs, he's up on to the next person. Sure. I mean, he's a genius. These Some of these guys are geniuses. And say what you want about Kevin. You know, I mean, Kevin Spacey was now a different Kevin Spacey than he was a couple of years ago. But that guy was a genius too. Yeah. You know, and and Don. And they, they the real ones, to me, they'll, they'll ask questions. They'll, they'll you know, they, they'll want to know. They're curious about mm. Um, this wall over here to Bette Midler she'll ask you a lot of questions and you better if you and I've noticed this with some super sharp people Hanks um, Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, uh, husband is like that Um, David Guess no Chris Guess Chris Guess you can't mention something if you don't know every motherfucking thing about it you can't in passing go oh this guitar from you know really well what what year was it well how was it made well what what's the tone what number was it what you know a lot of them will do that. Bets like that. You'll say, you'll, you'll throw out an opinion. We've thrown out 50 here. She'll say, wait, 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 what do you mean by that? Well, how does that, you know, and she'll, they'll dig into it. And you yeah, better understand it more deeply. Yeah. And yeah. they'll take it and they'll, they'll listen. You know, they really listen. I try to do that. I usually ask a ton of questions as you know, right? 
And like, I'll go to lunch with these got people and I'll just pelt them with the People love to talk about themselves, but also it's, I'd rather learn something than talk about me. I don't, I, did you get to that point where you're just like, I don't give, I don't need to impress anyone anymore, anyone anymore. I don't know if it's, I mean, sometimes I feel utterly like that. And then I, I'm reminded that I'm 33 and still like weirdly trying to prove myself on probably some shallow level that won't serve me long-term. But I think it's probably the case of most young people, yeah, youngish yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, to a certain extent, look, and I've talked about, I don't know, you know, I, I was lucky enough to get this great job in January, but after we finished filming, I was sort of faced with the one thing. I'll never forget this. I, I heard a woman talking about this at one of our secret meetings. And uh, and she was sharing and, and she said, if you want to be spiritual and you really want to be like sort of relieved of sort of being bogged down by self-criticism and neuroses and all the shit that we're looking to sort of shed in an effort to become more spiritual and grow. She's like, get ready for shit to go. And it might be the shit that you think defines you. It won't just be your character defects like anger right. or, or gluttony or greed. She's like, it might be that job you think defines you or that relationship you think you can't live without. Right. And I remember distinctly, and this was like three or four years of sobriety. I remember hearing that and going, God, she's so right. And Give, God, Give an example. I remember thinking, God, she's so right. And God, I hope that doesn't happen to me. And, and so flash forward to, I remember finishing grandfathered with you and then I faced a three year spell of not working. And that was, I mean, granted I was working in other regard, but not traditionally. And it was, it was ego death. It was the thing that I was most in fear of, especially because I've been doing this since I was a kid. So my identity was wrapped up in my work yeah. and how I was perceived and not wanting to be like yet another case of someone who had some success and then sort of fell away over time. And so after that three years, because I didn't drink over it and I didn't burn the city down and I didn't fuck up my life, I somehow got through it. Mm -hmm. And so then when I was sort of, met with this new part, this new opportunity, it was like, it was wonderfully welcomed, but I didn't need it anymore. Right. Yeah, you have to get to that place, I guess. The, 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 during that time, the thing that would hurt me most that you'd say is like, I just can't deal with the, re I just can't deal with the rejection anymore. It hurt me in two ways. One, I felt for you. Mm. And two, I was pissed off at you. I was like, who gives a fuck? Get out there and try. Remember, I, a lot of times I said, I, you, 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 try to, you wanted me to talk you out of auditioning for stuff a lot of times. I sure. Said, Get your ass in there. You got nothing to lose. I remember starting the show with you and us working. I think I've told you this before. And you said something to me, which at the time I really resented, but you were 100% right, which was, Good. you said, I think you're figuring out what makes you funny as an adult. Right. And I remember- You resented that? I think you told me that. Well, I think because but to I, that point, my stock and trade was being funny. And I'm like, this guy's telling, like, I've only gotten here because I know how to be funny. Like, right. But you were 100% right. Yeah. Well, you were transitioning from being the, the fat, funny kid to, uh, you know, you're a uh, leading man. You're a handsome guy. And then you, but you were, I could see you do it. You would go to that, as we all do, we go to the, that well, that safety zone. Mm. And it would be, I, I, you know, you turn mm. into... <laughs> Yeah, this is the fat kid from Fat from, Jerry Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> Jerry Fatty, Fatty Lewis. But 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 you know I did you know and I you can look at my shit. I I, I click into my crap too. But what? when you give that away, when you let all that shit go, like this this new show I'm doing, Big Shot, where the first step that 
you know, it's David Kelly's show and it's d- drama for the, you know, it's gotten lighter now, but I was like, I can't do, I don't want to do any of my old shit. I don't want to try to be charming. I don't want to be cute. I don't want to try to be funny. I don't want to, I just want to say these words. That's how good they were too. You know, it's rare that you get David Kelly. And I well, did, and everybody's like, oh my God, that's great. What it, are it's your so old hard for me not to be, try to, you know, to be funny or to try to be charming. I remember my, my shrink said, stop it. You, you've, you've charmed the world. You're done charming. Just mm. fucking be serious for a minute. It's very hard for me to look at you in the eye, even right now, and be straight and talk straight like we are. Like I've had a thousand stupid little jokes that gone through my mind. They said, nope, nope, nope. Boom, 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 boom. Do you find you're constantly fighting people's perception of you? I don't give a fuck anymore. And that's when it changes. That's when it changes for them. I don't, I swear to God. And it's really when I started to get sober and you know, you've been a big part of that. It was like, I don't give a fuck. I walk into a room with the biggest, I don't give a motherfucker anymore. And, and most of the time people still, you know, people still want to be around me, but I, but, but I don't care about impressing them. I don't care about, you know, being charming or funny or, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I can't help. But, you know, so Listen, you're, mag- <laughs> you're magnetic, my friend. But, uh, but, but, but uh, I would imagine. But you see that, right? I will go to places and we're like, I don't, we don't care. Remember, we, we were walking the press line one time and like, all these people were, was, remember at the, was it the SAG Awards or something? With, and. I don't know. I just, I just, when you just dig in and go, fuck it, then I don't. Anyway, but who I, cares? Nobody, people listening now are like, what? How do they? They love this. They I'm do? speaking on behalf of them. Yeah, because I love this and I'm the audience. Yeah. But I think it's so funny because I would imagine that the only thing worse than ha- having to walk into a room and fight people's perception of like- It's exhausting. Let, but like the only thing worse than if their perception of you is something bad, because then all you have to do is be nice. But how do you know that? Well, what I'm saying is, is that- the perception of you is elevated. So when you walk into a room, people are like expecting the person that they've grown up with, who they've uh, seen so charming, so yeah. magnanimous. So I would imagine that's worse. It's worse. Because you feel the need to like continually impress. I used to. Right. But now I'm better, I'm better at it. And, and you know, it even goes back to having to be like this uh, um, coxman for people. You know, we've mm. talked about that for the... You know, people. Oh my God! You, you know, you, you're my. You know, don't don't tell me if you haven't, because you're my. You know. But once I said, "Well, I'm not. I'm not. I can't be that guy anymore. I certainly can't be it in my own life." And that's when I settled down and got what I wanted, which was a nice wife and kid. Well, you're the reason I got married. How, really? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember. I remember you called me. We were. I was going over. We. Were, I was in New York. You remember going over? And I remember so clearly. We were going over one of those bridges. I rolled the window and you were like, ah, should I do it? Should I not? I got a ring, right? Well, besides your sage wisdom and how generous you've always been with me and like as my counsel, and you you really have, and that's no bullshit. That's scary. I feel feel lucky to Sometimes I just feel that with you. I feel like, oh my God, I just come to you with so much shit. Well, I think we were meant to meet, but on a but on a sh- sort of a outside level, what I will say, and I I wonder, I don't think you'd dispute this, was you know, for a young man, we all have like vestiges or flirtations of the idea of what we viewed people like you or Clooney until he got married, right? The two of you guys, until you settled down, the thought was like, wait, maybe you can be handsome and a bit of a Lothario and successful forever. And maybe you don't have to have- And then what happens of- when a pandemic hits and you're like, 
you know, then what? Right. I mean, that's not why I got married, but I mean, you were, we're not having, meant to be alone. You were having a spiritual pandemic when you and I met. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh, like he's got it all. And and then we would sit around yeah. and you'd be like, ah, I'd love to have a kid. Ah, I wish I was married. Life, yeah. And I knew in that moment, I'm like, oh, okay, got it. Like there's, I'm not missing anything here. No, and you look at some of these guys. Like I have a lot of friends that that were living that way. It's like, ah, oh, what are you crazy? It's getting, you know, not to me because they always knew I wanted it, and people love kids, and now a kid. But now you look at these a lot of these people, guys, and they're like home in their houses and apartments by themselves now, like Fuck just that. trying to like get through the day with this thing. Who knew this was coming? Like, what do you? First of all, how does it? How, how do you love being a dad? I know you. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but yeah, it's the best. Do you, did you ever think it was going to be so much, like so? It's not hard, but it's just a lot. It's hard enough taking care of yourself, right? Now you have to. Yeah, it's a, it, it's it's utterly exhausting. It really disrupts my ability in which to be selfish. Right, you get about twenty percent of your own time after the rest is that's it, right? Thirty, forty. What's what's but, been? But but you could I can I know. Why there's so many fucked up people in this world? Because it takes so much love and so much attention and so mm. much t- unselfish behavior, so much time, so much money, you know, um, patience. Like it doesn't, it just, it, people don't know how, and I got it made. I have, you know, I have money, I have help people and we don't have a lot of help with that certainly now, but, but, but it, it's hard, right? Yeah. If you, if you want it to be, if you want your kid to be, you know, a good person. I think so. And I think, you know, it only takes, um, what did they say? Uh, something about um, that some Homeland Security guy was interviewed and they asked him what his job was like. He's like, you know what the issue with my job is, is that we have to be right a thousand times. Yeah. The terrorists only have to be right once. Yeah. And similarly with a kid, right? Like you can be right a thousand times, but if like in one point they fucking drive you up the wall and you lash out or rage at them, that fucking imprints. 100%. You could see where a parent would lose their temper. Which of course. We, we, I don't think I've even done it once, but I want to, you know, you want to. If I was younger, if I was drinking, if I was, you know, just at the peak of my career, that's the fuck thing too. I mean, for whatever, you know, like women, they do have that bi- biological clock and it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's nature. But I mean, you know, the earlier the better. But if everyone could wait until they're like 35 or 40 to have a kid, I mean, it'd be, kids would be better. They'd get the attention they need. You'd already sort of made it. You're, you know, that's the beauty of me and you. You know, we already had some great success and we can, you know, we saved some dough. And there's a beautiful house right across the street from here. I'm not going to be your you neighbor, buy. John. I, I can't be. You, it's down a ways, but. It's so I'm working on being your neighbor, baby. I gotta this podcast gotta get bigger. I gotta put a little more scratch in the bank. Yeah, you had enough to buy that. This is a nice neighborhood. You got some money too. I don't want to have the shack on the nice block. It's not gonna be that asshole. (laughs) They're gonna be like, oh God, can you believe his fence? Disgusting. They don't let us put fences up. Um, but it's a lot anyway. But it's the most beautiful thing, right? Is there one thing that you can point to that's been like the most revelatory in having a kid? I think that what we just said to me, but um, it feels natural because you know I've been around a lot of kids. But uh, it took a while to connect with him. I don't know if you had that with Max, but like the first year, six months, year ago, like I'm not really like 
it's I wasn't connected. And people say, well, it takes fathers a little longer because mothers, you know. Yeah. And and it yeah, it clicked in, you know, a while ago. I it goes by so fast, doesn't it, too? I think it goes by quickly, but you're right to a certain extent. Like I'm lucky where Max, my son, has a little bit of favoritism towards me. And I think mm-hmm. it's just because his... I didn't for a long time. Really? Yeah. That hurt? No. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Mommy. I'm like, what? I'm dad. I'm getting with dad now. I just spent, because Caitlin has been really making masks and doing beautiful work. And she's made like over a couple hundred masks. When it, when she first started, to, I was like, what are you doing? People are like, they're not going to, you know. And then like three days later, it was like, masks, masks. Nobody has a mask, mask, mask. They went nuts for and, the ones she made. Yeah. And she sent them out to, pe- you know, not nurses and doctors. And I, I saw the response. Anyway, I was like full-time, you know, parent with him and it was just beautiful like just it, to see this human kind of come and you know everybody's we're not special you know you know a lot of people have kids but but i don't know how we could get across to young people like wait or you know really be established or did you dye your hair no it's really dark yeah did well, you put a little something in it because i used to have to straighten it and that would burn the color out what do you when mean? it was longer but it's dark. It's like black. You're very handsome in this light, too. Thank you. You're very handsome. What about this COVID-19? Like, what do you think about it? Have you talked about it a lot? I haven't really talked about it much. I, I refrain talking about it much at all at any time, just right. because it's on the fucking news every second. I stopped for about five days now, news, and it's been good. I'll tell you the one thing I can't do is fatalistic conversations with my friends that are like fear-fucking and basically- yeah. They're like, don't expect any normalcy for the next 18 months. And if you want to buy in, I've got like a timeshare bomb shelter out in Nevada that we can all go in on. And I've got enough soup in there to last us eight to 12 weeks. Like, I just can't, I can't be negative. I have to be optimistic in this moment, even though the realities of what's going on and that this is so different than anything anyone has ever experienced is not lost on me. Yeah, it's just juggling those, those, all that, all of it, right? You know, on one hand, you go like, what are these assholes doing? Like picketing and protesting. And then you go like, well, I get it too. It's like, if I, you know, lost my job and had a small house and three kids and climbing the walls and I'd be like, fuck it, let's get back. Terrifying. You know, I don't, I don't blame them either. It's just, that's the thing, you know, the, the people politicizing it it makes me sick, but you know what do you what do you do? It's but seen- it, it was always like the world was always going. Like this felt this way to me. It's like in the first three weeks, I don't know. You were like, oh, I'm good. I'm doing this. I'm doing like I said, I'm not. Like I'm not good. I don't know what this is. I can't figure it out. I was you know up and moving on my show. And it was you know I, I was back in the the place where I work best, where I'm you know going to a job every day, getting up at the same time, eating the same time. You are great in that place. Come home. Well, most people should be. Most people, you know, routine, routine, you know. And I felt, you know, and you'll feel it. You even felt it just by getting that show. Okay, I'm needed again. I'm, 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 this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is what I do. And, and then boom, that's all gone. Okay, well, and people say, oh, this is a reset. Reset. Fuck that. This is not a reset. This is a fucking, nobody's ever going to, so many people are hurt and busted so many businesses, people work their whole life to start their own business that have lost it. You know, it's, it's fucked. We've gone crazy. Like, this is, you know, so 
but the world to me, like when that ever happened in my life where, where you know, death or DUI, or, you know, just bad, the worst shit of, you know, that, that have happened to me. I was home, you know, like now, but the world was going and I had to get straightened up, get my shit together and get back on that conveyor belt out there because if I didn't, I'd die. Mm. But now that's not moving out there. That's, that's as stagnant as I am. And it's, I just can't, I can't wrap my head around it. And I can't wrap my head around how it's going to, we're going to start to assimilate back into society. And you hear this, you hear that in our business too. It's like, well, we're going to try to figure this out. And if, you know, legal issues, if an actor says he doesn't want to come to work, then, you know, and he doesn't, then what do, you know, uh, you know, I think they're worried about, okay, let's all get back in June, July, but then what if, it hits again or another strain and they got to shut everything back down. You know, how many episodes into filming were you when they shut you down? And that's tough. I mean, but thank God we have a job to hopefully go back to you and I, can you imagine if we didn't right now? And that's why I feel for these people. It breaks my heart. Like I, I just, I just can't imagine. And, And people, good people, great people that are, like I said, work their whole life for something, you know, and, and did all the right things and treated people right. And, you know, respected their wife and took care of their kids and built a business gone for, for what oh yeah it's utterly fucked you know it's interesting and I, I echo everything you're saying because i think that's that's totally right and it it felt weirdly like this weird reckoning that happened because in some respects it felt like the world had stopped looking like anything i had ever seen before coming up to this and we were so fucking divided and everything was so highly politicized before, and before, before this yeah. we were so utterly divided yeah. and not that that things aren't being politicized now but i think it brought into some sort of perspective the idea of like god forbid you got sick and a doctor is working on you mm-hmm. does it matter if you don't share the same politics mm-hmm. Or like if your neighbor lets you borrow toilet paper, like are you, do you care that they're a Trump person or a Bernie guy? Like it's just sort of a natural disasters pandemic. Steven Pinker talks about this. Like there are four or five incidents in life that really Love crush that. the disparity between wealth and between- But this know. isn't. Wealthy people are doing, you know, okay. I mean, emotionally, maybe not, but I mean, I, I guarantee you I'm, I'm doing better than a lot and it, I get it, you know? And then you go, how do I help? Everybody's hitting you up for everything. Could you do this video? Could you do this post? You, right? I mean, are you getting a lot of that? And that makes me crazy too. I'm pretty selective with that too because I don't want to spread myself too. I don't want someone to see me on this or see you on that. I've done, not, I've been, I had a lot of requests to do talk shows and, you know, morning shows and night shows where they put a camera in your house. And you, no I said you. no to it. I've just not felt like doing any of that stuff. I don't, I can't. You could probably get a free camera out of I it. I don't give a fuck. That's what I've been thinking. You I know? did the Disney thing, which was beautiful. This this um, uh, sing along. Did you see that? You get a free camera out of it? No, f- nothing free. You can't return the In fact, camera. They were gonna could have COVID. They were gonna over. send cameras and lighting. I said, no, I got it. But my point is, like, uh, I don't. You know, it's hard to go like, hey, yeah, man, I'm doing okay. You know, my of course, people watching go, fuck you. Of course, it's you know, you, you're yeah. doing okay. So, so I don't think to me it's we're not leveled like it's you know, but like even like making this one a good friend of mine and it's, and it's a good organization that he asked me to do a, a, a you know a video PSA talking about. I guess the message now is that we're you know we're closer and let's the people that have been doing well like us like let's not give up like let's keep going right. And um, I just it took me eighteen takes and then the next day twenty takes like I couldn't. 
I just didn't know what to say. It feels disingenuous. It yeah, and it's like, fuck you. If I hear another celebrity, by the way, like people, in my opinion, I couldn't agree people more. People are sick of hearing celebrities tell them how to live. Preach it, Stamos. Am I wrong? I mean, You're fuck right. you. And yes. look, it didn't help Hillary one goddamn bit, you know. So let's just stop preaching because I don't know any more than anyone else. In fact, take this section of the tape and put this at the beginning because <laughs> it's horseshit. It's too much. And that's what I said. And I go, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'll do this video for you. But I'm going to say, I first things first, like I, here's another t celebrity telling you what to do. I'm sick of it too. But this one's a little different for whatever. Because what, aren't people tired of it? I think All for of sure. Like every speech, every, even these these nice things, this Disney thing I did or the the citizen, uh, global citizen, the other that concert, like everybody's got to babble on about how we're in this together. But we're not. I mean, I if I was a guy who had lost my job, who living in a one bedroom apartment with three kids, I'd say, I'm not in it with Stamos. We're in a, we're in a different thing. Yes. We're, I saw signs around the neighborhood. We're all in this together. Well, sadly, we're not, but I don't know what the point of that is, but it's, it's fucked. I think that's right. I had a tweet the other day that was airlines during the pandemic. We're all in this together. Airlines after the pandemic, we don't have room for your carry-on, so you're going to have to throw it away. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's 100% like that. And I think you're speaking to something broader, which makes perfect sense, which is like, and I remember this specifically, and it was something around the election and I think it was Meryl Streep who, you know, God bless her, and and she's one of my favorites. But it was just someone bloviating from an award stage yes. to people just like them about why their politics uh, right, are more important right, than others. Right. And it and I said, you're only hurting us. Hundred percent. I mean, did you watch the Oscars this year? Like, there's a reason why nobody watches the Oscars. There's a reason why nobody like because they're who wants to hear. Uh, uh, God bless him, Joaquin Phoenix telling you how to live your life. Fuck you. We're right. not in the same boat, man. You know, I'm saying uh, people that are watching that and uh, and him and I aren't in the same boat. But I mean, it's like, I think it's backfiring, clearly. And we got to watch it, you know. I think so too. And I think, you know. Well, we have a response. You have a responsibility, John. No, I don't. I have a responsibility to. And by the way, my res my views are split. Half of my audience, maybe even more, they don't share the same views. Right. That's okay. So we don't have to talk about it. My dad's never talk about religion. You know, never talk about uh, something else. Well, I think we're, we we got to a <laughs> Politics, point. Politics, <laughs> sorry. So I don't think I asked you this because it was a question I started asking in like the 20th or 25th podcast. But it's something I ask at the end of every podcast to every guest. So now having this opportunity, I will ask you, Jonathan Stamos. Yeah. What are your one or two commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you'd want to impress upon someone else. I wasn't paying attention. What? Guys, I just want to paint the picture here. John is texting in the middle of our comment. We've we've gotten too comfortable, John. Um, who, I we talked. Look, that, any Hanks? good any good interviewer would have already got that out of his interviewee, and you did. We talked about the things we want to impress on the people. I know, but like, right? What what is it? What are your one or two commandments, John Stamos' commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you'd want to impress upon someone else. I don't want to press it. We just talked for a half hour about celebrities trying to- uh, Truths, John. Shit their, truth. Do their shit. What's truth to me is not truth to someone else. My truth is not the same if as a lot of other people's truth. If you have to encapsulate something- No, that I'm not you encapsulating anything. You will fucking encapsulate- Go ahead, for what? Gonna, <laughs> what are we encapsulating? We're going to make some capsules now. Do you do this with everybody now at the end yes, of the Yes, and it's oh wonderful. What's your one cuss now. word? He died. Why don't you take that cuss word thing? I'm not going to steal from the actor studio, RIP James Lipton.
He's dead. He doesn't care. Do you know that he was the heir to the Lipton tea fortune? No. That's some, I lied. I think that beard was fake. So what do I want to impress? But but I don't. If you needed to just share some knowledge, something you've I just did for an hour and a half. What, about Fakakta Rickles? Go back to Sammy. Just rewind the tape if you want the answer. Something good. You got to leave your son with something before you leave this earth. Something you really want to know. That's different. That's a different question. Not really. Um, discipline is a thing I grapple with, but as I used to be so good at it, then it's it, the lines keep sliding, you know. Because it's hard. You go, you gotta be true to yourself, and then you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And it's like, yeah, this is part. This some of this is me. <laughs> it's like, but um, I don't know. I mean, what would what would you say about yourself in that respect? And then what would you say about me? You know me. People always ask me that when they're trying to buy time for this question. Um, what would I say? I mean, because you don't want to leave just one thing. It's a, it's a horseshit question. I'm sorry. No, Go. it's not. You it's leave gone one so thing? well this I want to be, I want to. No, just it's where you're at right I now. I want people to walk away thinking I was a nice guy and that I was funny. I'd rather those things than That's handsome or something. That's what I'm asking. Oh my God, you're killing me. You know what the fat Jewish said his commandment was? One of. What? If you have sex with John Stamos and you're a man- it's not gay. It's just beautiful. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. Um, I still don't get it. I would tell Max. Okay. If I had to give him one or two, I'd say service. That the only way you're ever going to fucking find any joy in this life is through other people. Yeah. It's through helping other the people. The love you make is equal to the love you take. Is that Beach Boys? Beatles. All right. Close. Yeah. That's it. Nothing. What? Nobody well, has nothing. But, but but a lot. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's not single things. I mean, yes, being a service, being you know, uh, just paying attention to people's feelings and who they are. And my mom, my mom was the best at it. And I'm, you know, you and you, you know, you're so you're close with your mom. And whether we like it or not, we sort of turn into our parents. I used to make fun of my mom because she would. I talk to waiters and waitresses and the gardener and pool guy, like, oh, it's just they have questions. And, and also, like, sort of flatter them and, you know, make them feel great. I mean, you my, you met my mother. You'd walk away feeling 100 times better about yourself, you know? And and now I, I do that, you know? So that's a nice thing, I guess. I mean. Didn't your mom have an edict about something about in in the vein of like restraint of pen and tongue or like oh you said you said your mom had a wonderful quality of like that the, she'd never shit on anyone yeah she wouldn't she'd uh, find or, the good she'd in find everyone. the good in it, whatever that was and she would for the most part define who that person was from the good part not yeah. the other bad parts like hitler you know great mustache he was a good golfer too, which a lot of people. Um, I love you. Yeah, I love you too, and I'm proud of you. That was it. That was John. How good was that? Right, right. All right, guys. Well, that, that I think that wraps it up. That reppy that just puts it all in a nice little gift wrappy package, and uh, and we can seal it and see, and we'll we'll pop this baby open next week. Right? For another episode of The Curious Podcast with Josh Peck. Start the show. Ah, that felt forced. That felt weird. Ah, God. You know that moment where you're like, I can't take that back ever. That was, I just felt that. That was that moment for me.
Okay, thank you so much.